Good morning, Origins and family that's scattered. It is great to be back with you this Sunday, uh, first Sunday of May, which is crazy that this much time has passed. Um, again, as we've said every week, we miss being together, but we are so grateful uh, that technology is what it is, and you guys are all so awesome that you're willing to tune in and be diligent to be together, to be unified, even while we are scattered. Uh, we do have some worship this morning. Uh, from John and the band, and so we're grateful for them. And so I just wanted to pray uh, to, uh, that God would prepare our hearts to worship uh, through song and through his word. If you feel like standing up in your house and singing exactly where you are, uh, it doesn't matter what your neighbors see. Maybe they'll like it. So uh, feel free to do that as we worship. But let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for loving us today. We thank you, God, uh, that you are a God who cares about his children, who loves his children enough not to leave us alone. Uh, today, God, as we worship through song and through the reading and thinking well of your word, uh, I pray that it would be a sweet aroma to you and it would be a great offering. Uh, prepare our hearts uh, just to tell you that you're great and to worship you. And God, I pray that your word would speak today. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen.
Again, thank you guys for being with us this week. Uh, we're excited to kick off a new series. Uh, my goal today is to be brief. Um, we know how that goes when I plan to be brief, but really today, that, that is my goal. We're kicking off a series in 1 Peter. I think it's incredibly appropriate for us now. If you do not know much about uh, this particular book, uh, just to give you a quick rundown as to the, you know, the why, the who, and the where. Uh, written by Peter, the same Peter that we hear about in the Gospels, one of the first disciples that was called by Jesus, he was a fisherman, uh, was not trained um, professionally or anything like that. He was trained by Jesus as one of his disciples, as one of his followers. Followed Jesus for several years um, and then was restored by Jesus after the crucifixion and the resurrection and then went on to be one of the founding fathers of the church, so to speak. And, and so Peter writes this letter. Most likely it's in the early 60s AD uh, during the reign of Nero. 
There was not significant persecution going on at this time yet. Uh, there was more like day-to-day uh, struggles and trials that Christians were experiencing, very much like ours. Um, we can look at our circumstance right now and we can call it a lot of things, but in all honesty, it's not persecution per se. It's difficult days. And so we can identify with the believers here. It was written to a group of mostly Gentile believers, which was non-Jewish believers. Uh, They were followers of Jesus and they were scattered. We're going to hear the word exile in this text. We're going to hear things like that, but it's not necessarily political exiles. It's more figurative uh, in the sense that it's just a group of believers uh, who were living all throughout a region that were not in one particular place. The area that mostly is concerned with this book or that is Uh, involved in this is modern-day Turkey. Uh, We're going to hear some names of some places, but that's mainly the region. And I'll go ahead and tell you the reason that this book was written to these particular believers. And this is the reason I think it's so pertinent for us right now. Uh, It was just written to encourage and prepare believers of this time and in this place. And I think more than anything else, like we need that right now. Um, I think a lot of people are, are tired of the current situation But in all reality, things could be a lot worse. And so encouragement is necessary. Uh, But also understanding that, you know, there are difficulties right now. Um, There are things that are just hard. And so preparing our hearts, preparing our minds to think well about what that looks like and how we live in that as believers. And so today we're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter one in 1 Peter. And and here's the goal. Um, It really is just encouragement for followers of Jesus today to think Um, about God and Jesus and what we have because of God. And uh, let's just, let's celebrate today. I'm going to pray and uh, then we're going to read through this and talk about some things that are worth celebrating. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for guiding us today. Uh, We thank you that the spirit is alive and well in those who have been bound to uh, you, our father, through Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Um, God, today, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would encourage Um, God, if any of us are are just uh, broken in spirit or just not excited about life in general, I pray that this word today, this uh, this scripture that was written, inspired by you, written by man, uh, to believers very similar to us in some ways, God, I pray that it would lift our spirits, uh, that it would uh, cause us great joy and bring gladness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that it means to us, all that it can do in us. Um, And God, thank you for your spirit that never wastes an opportunity Uh, to speak to us through your word. Thank you today, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to go ahead and read through the first nine verses, and then we'll kind of go back through and talk about those. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus, and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So this was just Peter's greeting. Uh, We're going to continue. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so again, this book, uh, this epistle was written to these people in modern day Turkey, and it was written as an encouragement. And it was written also to give them some tools to handle some of the things that they would most likely go through. And it probably wasn't written about specific tests and specific trials, but more just general things that people would go through. And while they weren't under necessary uh, persecution from Rome, uh, there were day-to-day occurrences in which uh, people of Rome would take Christians and they would try to make an example out of them. Or either people that were questioning their faith uh, would try to assault them with words or make things difficult for them. And so it was very much like we experience on a day-to-day here if we are living our faith uh, out in the open and out loud like we should. And so it starts off, uh, the first couple verses, it just says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. Very simply, he's just saying, hey, to those who are scattered, to those who are saved and redeemed by God, they're being transformed by the Spirit, uh, all possible because of Jesus. Um, I hope God is doing great things in you, and I hope he's going to do more and more. And hey, this is me, Peter, writing these things to you. And so then he goes into kind of this uh, just, just theological statement um, and also giving us reasons to be excited and reasons to celebrate. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've always wondered, like this idea, I know how God blesses me. I know how he blesses us as the church. Um, But it's always perplexed me a bit when I read in Scripture saying, Blessed be God or bless God. Um, And if we dig a little bit more, uh, what this really means is just praise God, remember God, think well of God. And so it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's saying, look, Together, let's celebrate in this way. Let's praise God, the Father of Jesus. Uh, Let's celebrate Him. Let's remember Him. um, Let's look to Him. Let's think well of Him. All of those things can be summed up in this idea of bless or blessed be God. And then it says, continuing in this same verse, it says, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think the very first thing that we're seeing in verse 3 that we need to uh, be encouraged by is that this, it is God who saves. It says, it says this, it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's important to note that it is he who saves, not us. I think this lays some great framework as we continue. Because to be honest, if salvation was from me or if salvation was from you, I don't think it would be nearly as uh, beautiful. I don't think it would be as uh, worth celebrating because I know me and I know a lot of yous as well. And I know that if it was resting on me, that it wouldn't be that great. But this salvation that has been granted to us comes from God and from God alone. And not only does it come from God, but it comes through Jesus and the hope that we can have through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And it says this, it says to be born again, the same idea that Jesus was trying to get across through Nicodemus, um, to a living hope. It's also letting us know that not only is it God who saves and that we did not save ourselves, 
But because of that, because of Jesus being resurrected that we celebrated on Easter, uh, we have this living hope, hope that is not still, hope that is not dead, hope that is not in a grave, but hope through Jesus that rests in us as living people who get to pursue God as living people, who get to follow Jesus as living people whose hope is alive and it is well, it is breathing, it is active. And in that, wow, we should be encouraged. We should be greatly encouraged. He continues on to verse four. He says, um, not only that, he says, but according to his great mercy in verse three, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's the other thing, and we don't talk about this a lot, and, and that, uh, that, may be, that may have a lot to do with me, um, but like there is something waiting for us after this that is an inheritance from God and it is going to be amazing. It's already amazing, it is waiting for us. It's when we are going to be reunited with Jesus, um, whether at death or at his returning, either way we're going to be reunited with him and it's an inheritance that is waiting for us from God and it's going to be amazing. And again, we go back to that first thing uh, that we should be encouraged by, that God saves, we didn't do it, and this inheritance, it is not from us, it's not from our earthly fathers, it's not from our earthly grandfathers, but it is from our heavenly Father. So we can trust it, we can know that it's good, we can know that it's better than anything we can possibly imagine. And then he goes on to describe this inheritance. He says, it is imperishable, it is undefiled, it is unfading. And so these ideas, we have to understand that this inheritance, since it's from God, it is, it is priceless. It is beyond a price tag that we can imagine. It is pure and it is good um, and it lasts just like God. You know, I think a lot of us, when we think of inheritance, we think of um, a money uh, number or uh, an amount that can be deposited into a bank account. And those things can be spent. They can run out and they can even be tainted with the memory uh, from the person that they were left by. Uh, but this type of inheritance, it cannot be tainted because it comes from a perfect God. It cannot run out because he is immeasurable as are his riches. And it cannot possibly be understood because it's so vast and it's so big. No number can be attached to this inheritance that is promised through God for us because of Jesus. And that, that should encourage us. It's big. Um, I, I personally, I struggle with thinking about heaven sometimes. I struggle with uh, longing for it because I, I fear that if I long for heaven so much that I will miss the things that I'm supposed to do now. And I'm reminded very much of Paul's words when he says, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And he's reminded when he's talking to the people at Philippi, he's like, look, um, if I live, I get to uh, act out Jesus's words and his life and his death and his resurrection to, to you and for you, which is good. But to die is going to be far better because he knew that he would be with God. He's like, I'm between a rock and a hard place. And sometimes for me, it's very similar. Like I struggle with thinking about the fact that one day, all this pain, all this struggle, it'll be gone. It'll be wiped away. It'll be gone and it will be perfect and it will be good. And I fear that if I think about it too long that I will miss the now and I will miss my chances and opportunity to be obedient, to be faithful, to be all those things. But I have to confess, 
If I'm not dwelling on what God has promised me, I think I'm doing a great disservice and a great injustice to what God has told me. After all, why would he tell us about these things that they await? Why would Jesus say that I'm going before you to prepare a place for you? Why would he tell us those things if he did not want us to think about those things? And so for me and for you, I'm telling you, you know what? It's okay to think about that. It's okay to be encouraged by the thought that one day all pain, all suffering, all strife, all ill content, all of those things, they will be wiped away and perfection will be realized. Completion will be realized. Our unification with God will be made complete. These earthly bodies will be put away. The pains that we feel, the joints that ache and crack, the sin that we fight, the temptation that we struggle with, all gone. This is the inheritance that God has promised us through Jesus and Jesus alone. And these things can be trusted because they come from God. Verse 5, the encouragement continues. It says this after verse 4, just to reread that again, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I think this is another encouragement for us, especially in these uncertain times and in just the day-to-day. We have to understand that God protects what is His. It says in verse 5, very beautifully, it says, Who, by God's power, speaking about believers, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed or ready to be realized in the last time. In the last times. We have to understand that God protects what is His. Just as we can trust that salvation comes from God, just as we can trust that the inheritance comes from God, we can also trust that God is looking after his sheep. Again, we remember we were talking about the Lord is my shepherd. We were reading that just a few weeks ago and just this idea of what the shepherd does. He guides, he provides, he protects, and he loves. We can trust that God is this for us and he is protecting what is his. And we, by Jesus, through by grace, through faith, we are his and he's going to protect us. Uh, But at the same time, it says that we are being protected by God's power who are being guarded through the faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He is protecting us, but here's the caveat in that. We must believe in faith in his protection. We must trust in his protection. We should not take it for granted. We should not get up every day and not even thank God for it or not even pray to God for it and just walk like it's going to happen. We need to ask and believe that it is going to happen. He promises, yes, yes, that it is going to happen, but we need to ask in faith for that protection, and he is going to protect what is his. And then it's it's basically telling us that he is going to do it for a set amount of time, and that time is this, uh, who by God's power are being guarded or protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So from now until that day in which we are going to be unified with God fully by grace through faith in Jesus, when we're going to be taken out of these earthly bodies, given new bodies to live with him through eternity, uh, he is going to guard us from now until then. At that point, he will no longer need to guard us anymore because all the things that could come after us, they will be gone. Protection will be a guarantee based on the fact that we will fully be with God in body and in spirit. But until that time, until that time, God has us. Does that mean that we will not encounter difficulty? No. Does that mean that we will not encounter trials? No. Strife? No. All of those things? No. But it means that ultimately, God is taking care of the good for his glory and our good. He has us. 
He has us. That should be incredibly encouraging. And then the fourth thing that we see in verses six through nine, it says, in this you rejoice. All these things pointing up, the things that we've just read, you rejoice or you have joy, you celebrate. Um, But it says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So not only do we rejoice in the previous things that were listed, but now in what he's talking about here, he says you can also rejoice in the fact that there are going to be tests or trials. Similar idea to James chapter 1, which was probably our earliest book written in the New Testament, at least the earliest epistle, when it says, uh, My brothers, my sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials and testings, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience uh, be made complete or be made perfect. And so here he's saying, yes, rejoice in the things that we've just talked about, but rejoice in this fact that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved or you have been burdened by various trials. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, yes, you may rejoice in the good things that we've just talked about, but rejoice in this, that God is going to allow tests and trials to refine you, to refine you. And this refining, yes, it may be fiery, it may be difficult, it may result in in pain and hardship, but the end result is it's going to prove the genuineness or the authenticity of your faith, of your belief, of your reliance on God. And so therefore, we can rejoice. I know that it's difficult in times like this to think that uh, tests and trials may be something that should bring us great joy, but this is not the only place like we talked about in James, but in other places, it assures us that because we are bound to Jesus, there will be, will be difficulties, there will, will be tests, there will be trials. We should celebrate in the fact that God loves us enough not to leave us the way that we are, but he desires to do things to bring out the authenticity of our faith, and sometimes that occurs through tests and trials. It says here, rejoice in this because it's going to prove that your faith is real. It's going to prove that it's lasting. It's going to prove that you really believe what you say you believe. And then he goes on just a little bit further and he says, so that the tested genuineness or the authenticity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation or the return or the coming of Jesus Christ. He says this testing, it's more valuable than gold, and here's why. Because one day, as a result of the authenticity of your faith, when Jesus returns, you will be united with him, and as a result of that union with God through Jesus, there will be great honor for you. There will be great glory for you. Not because you've done it, but because God has done it, but the fact that we get to be bound to God through Jesus for eternity, bodily and spiritually, man, there's great honor there. There's great reason to celebrate there. And sometimes uh, our faith needs to be tested so that it can grow, so that we can get to that place. I think sometimes these testings will reveal that maybe we do not believe as strongly as we think we did or as strongly as we have said that we did. And under these times of tests, when we're able to, to make it through, we can look back and we can see that God's done major works in us through these tests. Maybe right now it's depending on income to come in that you don't know where it's going to come from. Maybe right now it is a test to see that in the difficult and uncertain times that you're going to continue to be generous as God has directed you to be in the past. 
Just as a point of celebration with our church, our faith family, I can't speak to another church if that's what you're part of, but as for Origins, we've seen tremendous outpourings of generosity. As a matter of fact, like this month that we're sitting in right now, the month that just wrapped up of April, uh, was our highest month of giving ever as a church. Let that sink in. It was our highest month ever of giving as a church. That is to be celebrated in a huge way because I know that many of you that are giving, you don't know if you're going to get a paycheck two weeks from now. You don't know if your work is going to continue from right now. You don't know what's going to happen, but you know that God has directed you to be generous, so that, and so you are. That's a huge deal. Right now, the test is proving that you trust in God. Thank you for that. As a result of that, we've been able to bless other people in the city. Uh, we've been able to continue to pay staff without any hesitation. We've been able to do so much in the midst of these trials and these tests. Thank you for that. I know that some of you, the test exists in, uh, in this way that uh, you've been afraid. You've just been afraid. You've been afraid uh, to go out. You've been afraid to do the things that were necessary. You've been afraid to love your neighbors. But here's another place that we can celebrate. You've done it anyway. You've done it anyway. You have reached out. You have loved your neighbors. You have loved your coworkers in the face of fear. In this test, God is telling you, trust me to do what I've asked you to do in the past because it's still the same thing I'm asking you to do now. And you've believed in him for that. We've believed him for that. The test is working. It is growing our faith. For some of us, for some of you, um, I know that you're wondering, when will I ever see people again? You're an extrovert. Maybe you're a single extrovert, and you're at home every day, and you're just lonely, and you're just like, will this ever end? It will end. It will end, and in the midst of this, you can trust God that it will end, and you can trust God that those needs that you have for relationship to be around people, they're not bad, they're good, but they will be met. And in the meantime, you can trust that God will sustain you. He will meet the relational needs that you have right now. Not just through Zoom, not just through text messages, but through the indwelling of His very Spirit. He is worth trusting in. The testament for you right now may be this, just to trust God. Trust God that those yearnings that you have to be around people, uh, they can be satisfied in Him. And I know that's easy for me to say because I'm surrounded by my family every day, but I talk to those who are single and I talk to the community group leaders who are talking to you. I understand your dilemma. Trust God in this test. Trust God in this test. Trust Him when He says that He is enough. He will meet your needs. His grace is sufficient, especially in those times of great weakness. The testing of our faith will produce an authentic faith, a growing faith, a living hope, and a living faith. He continues on just a little bit further, and he just reminds us about all of these things about God. Uh, just rereading verse 7, so that the tested genuineness or the authenticity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, this faith does not perish in the midst of fire. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation or the return of Jesus. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's saying that all of these things, this cyclical idea, it leads to uh, inexpressible joy and it leads to us realizing that the salvation that we have laid hold of, laid faith in, trusted in, it's still there and it's still real. And for that we should be encouraged. 
then this week, no matter where you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, if you have been bound to God through Jesus, you can know. You can know it is him who saves. It is him uh, who is promising you more than we could possibly imagine. It is him who protects you because you are his. Uh, and in all these things, we can be glad in the good and in the bad. They serve a purpose. They serve a purpose. God is doing these things, allowing these things, moving in this way for his glory, but for our good. We can be encouraged. If you are bound to God through Jesus, please, please do not be saddened by the circumstances. Please do not be dismayed by the circumstances. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember him, celebrate him, worship him. Be encouraged and share this encouragement with others. Man, if you are reading scripture throughout the week and you come across something that lifts your spirit, uh, that fixes what was ailing inside of you, share that with somebody. Maybe the encouragement that you've experienced needs to be heard and experienced by someone else. Share that with someone, maybe in a text, maybe in a phone call, maybe in a Zoom call, maybe in a Facebook chat, whatever it may be, just share that with someone. Offer that encouragement to someone. And remember that this encouragement that we're experiencing because we are bound to God through Jesus, it can also be experienced by those who do not yet know God as their Father and Jesus as their Savior and the Spirit as their guide. But it can be. But it's up to us to share. It's up to us to tell. Remember last week we said we need to see opportunities to serve, see opportunities to speak, and trust in God for that boldness. We can even do that through the encouragement. Um, I am praying for those who uh, are the Origins family, but also those of you who are listening that we do not know um, in some super, supernatural way. We're praying for you this week too. We pray that you could be encouraged. Uh, in just a moment, Stephen Leopard is going to pop up on the screen and he's going to read uh, a benediction. It's something that we really haven't been able to do since we've been meeting like this, but a benediction is just simply something that uh, it's, a, it's a part of Scripture that we're going to read together. Um, he may encourage you to do so, but I'll encourage you to do so. Stand in your house, hold your Bible, and read it out loud, and let's celebrate God through his word. Thank you for being with us this week, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us in worship. Uh, we want to send you guys out with a quick benediction. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, and I would encourage you to read along with me. It says in verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You guys have a blessed week. We love you, and we can't wait to see you soon.